It's Monday, April 2nd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Chris is getting a much-deserved break, and I am joined in studio, as always, by Motley Fool stock advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Pro Jeff Fisher. Guys, welcome. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Okay, guys, we're going to get to Groupon and Avon because we got some big news there, but I want to start with Starbucks. Jason, Starbucks announced that it has plans to have more than 1,500 stores in China by 2015. They currently have around 570 stores. Good move? I think it's a great move, and I think it just reinforces what we've known about the company for a while is that they have big plans in these in these emerging markets. It's not just China, but uh, you know other other countries such as India. Uh, I mean, China and India together, they're the two most populous uh, countries on, on the globe. And so we have a situation here where you know Starbucks was known for a long time in, in the United States is probably reaching a saturation point, you know, when the, the onion jokes of the Starbucks inside a Starbucks yeah. bathroom were, were so popular. But, you know, this is the company that's really proven that they were just getting started. And and to see this, uh, you know, play out, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's certainly rewarding shareholders. The stock is at an all-time high. And, and truthfully, I, I think that the stock is, a, is still a compelling buy today. Now, guys, can I can I call Starbucks the Green Siren from now on? <laughs> you may. Will that, will that fly? Okay. So the Green Siren thinks that China will be its largest market. So, I'm sorry, second largest market by 2014, and that that is soon. That's only a couple of years away. Second largest market by 2014. Do you know when they opened in in China? They're, they opened their first store on mainland China in 1999. Wow, which seems like a, a very long time ago, right now. So, so, the, and the coffee culture there is still emerging. I mean, it's it's very much so. I Jason, we we're talking about this. You're talking about your experience in Egypt. It's much more of a tea drinking culture in China, right? Right, and I mean, China. I think the the stats there were that you know the average Chinese coffee consumer drinks like two or three cups of coffee per year. And so, I mean, on the on the one hand, you think, well, wow, why why would they go someplace where coffee's not such a big deal? But you know, on the flip side of that, you can say, well, that's really all that opportunity right there is because. Because as as we become more of a global society, so to speak, and, and as coffee starts to take off, I mean, we're seeing coffee consumption in India, for example, skyrocketing, and in China, it's doing very much the same thing. And so they see this uh, number one as a as a market that is going to start drinking more coffee, uh, and a market where their brand, that Starbucks brand, is is it's. It's a it's a sign of I don't want to say making it, but it's it's kind of like a, a bragging right almost. I mean, people take that brand very seriously. And so you mentioned my time in Egypt; it was very much that same way. Now we were there in two thousand and two through two thousand and five, living in Cairo, and there wasn't a Starbucks there at that time. But like the money gift you could give to any of the locals there at the embassy, you come back from your trip back to the states, was the Starbucks travel mug. They loved that brand just having that brand being associated with it, they felt like it was a part of something bigger uh, than just, you know, American. They felt like Starbucks was just really a global brand at that time. And so we were seeing even then coffee uh, taking off there. And the big picture, okay, let's think about this. Starbucks has been around quite a while in the U.S., a couple decades in North America, built an extremely valuable business here. And now they're saying that China is going to be its second largest market within a few years. If China's economy continues to grow and its middle class, middle income continues to to expand, that means great things for leading multinational American companies who who have a whole second life ahead of them as these markets grow and grow. And Starbucks is 
perfect example of that. One more point here with Starbucks, too, is, you know, in, a, in like a year or two or maybe three years from now, we're probably going to be reading the same story, except China is just going to be replaced with India. This is going to happen again, I think. I mean, they're just getting ready to start operations in, the, in India. And I think there's a realistic possibility. You know, they've got this joint venture over there with Tata, which is, you know, the, just the, the name over there. And I mean, that's going to give them the opportunity to really get into a number of locations where, uh, you know, consumers that are able to afford those types of, of uh, luxuries as, as, you know, over there, Starbucks is a little bit more of a luxury at this point. But I think that we're going to be reading about this kind of thing for, for many, many years to come. If you believe that some form, some form of capitalism is going to kind of rule the, rule the day across most of the world, the rest of our lives, the coming decades, it's hard not to be long term, very bullish on leading U.S. companies. Okay. Well, so on that note, Starbucks, when you look at the stock right now, trading around a 52-week high, it, had, it has had an incredible run. Do you still like it at this valuation? I do. And I mean, it's. I, I think that, you know, on the one hand, I'm certain that the stock price will come back down at some point. Uh, but to say that and to try to plan purchasing the stock around that statement just is tantamount to market timing. So Starbucks, I think, represents a great opportunity uh, for investors to buy in drips and drabs over periods of time. And, and as just a, a, as a core holding in a portfolio, I, I think it's really got a, a chance to do well. I agree. They showed that they can have missteps. They, they stumbled a few years ago. Howard Schultz came back and set them back on track. So it, nothing is a, a sure thing. But now they seem to be making all the right moves again. And the valuation to me looks reasonable given the growth possibilities ahead. So if you're a long-term investor, I still like Starbucks. Okay, guys, let's move on to Groupon, an ugly, (laughs) ugly day. Um, At the time of this taping, shares down around 11%. Um, Groupon, late last Friday, announced that they were going to have to restate their first quarter results. So, Jason? Shame, shame, shame. Yeah, I mean, I... uh I wish I could say I knew something, but uh, you know, in all honesty, I've just I've not liked Groupon for ever. I mean, I just don't use it really. I don't really see the the defendable mode in that kind of a business. I mean, Living Social, I think, is the same thing. I mean, these companies are losing money because they're they're just their value proposition ultimately, I think, dissipates over time. I mean, uh, I, I know, for example, we we were asking about people who've used Groupon before, and I mean, I know that you know my wife, for example, had used uh, Groupon one time. And, and realized that she had bought a higher-end item that it turned out the service wouldn't be available for, for – they were booked for six months you know, down the road. So she had to go ahead and get a refund. And that's ultimately what, what Groupon is, is getting bit by here is, is refunds. And they didn't uh, you know, see – they didn't have the wherewithal to, to really reserve uh, what you know, refunds may be coming into play. And that's part of the problem is they don't know. Because they're very dependent on the businesses that, that are their vendors, but they don't control those vendors. The vendors themselves control the vendors. So Groupon is stuck in this position where they don't have a lot of control over anything other than just trying to offer a great deal for consumers that may or may not want it. And that's kind of where the problem starts. So, And just to clarify there, so those first quarter financial results are, are going to be more optimistic, right, when they don't take into account – kind of the full possibility of refunds. More optimistic until they tell you they got to restate them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the problem is that they, you know they're re- they're restating them now uh, well after the fact and just the fact that they announced this, you know, in, in the evening um Friday after the market's closed, it just that just stinks, man. When I mean, no one except our own Joe Mager is probably looking at this. And I don't filings. know, even Angry Joe might not have even seen that. He was getting ready to get married. Yeah, he has an excuse <laughs> this week. Well, Jeff, it seems like we've got two different issues here with Groupon. We've got the, the fundamental business model um, that Jason was just alluding to. you got problems there. And now you have this whole issue of can we trust management? Yeah, and that's been an issue since pre-IPO. When yeah. they had to, the SEC made them restate results uh, effectively, which cut their revenue in half 
from prior years. Adjusted consolidated so, <laughs> segment operating income. <laughs> so they, right. the, they've always been seen as being very aggressive with how they report results. And yet even so, I mean, since their founding, they've accumulated a deficit of nearly $700 million from operations. So they're running at a large loss. Last year, they spent $768 million on their marketing initiatives. So they're spending a lot of money to get these deals out. Now, how it works, Jason Jason just spoke to this. Groupon makes these arrangements with their merchants, and then they sell the deals to, to customers who read their emails. And then they they get the money up front, and they pay the merchants within 60 days generally on, on domestic with domestic businesses. It's different international, but let's stick to North America right now. So they typically pay the merchant in installments within 60 days of selling the Groupon, and they keep the other half for themselves. But then they have this Groupon promise where if you didn't like the deal or cancel it, they pay you back all of the money that you paid. So Groupon is really a financial float company. They're, They're a credit risk. And now they're starting to do these bigger deals which implies more credit risk, and they're not reserving enough money for it. So it's, as one analyst put it, it's one of the worst, in his opinion, credit risk companies out there. They're taking on all this risk of people who are scouring their their inbox for deals that they may or may not be able to afford or, or follow through on. They're giving them the credit. They're giving half of that money then away to a merchant, and then they're sitting on the full risk themselves. I was just going to say, let's take that one step further. And as a consumer, okay, just the first time you decide to try to use Groupon and say you want to get a massage and they're, you know, have an offer for a $50 massage or whatever with a local masseuse, you get that and then you realize that you can't book this for six months out. Okay, well, that's the first time I've tried it and I'm probably leaving pretty bitter just from that alone. And chances are people won't even go back to it. And so then all of a sudden you've sort of developed this just this bad taste from the very get-go. And I think that as the economy continues to get better, I think their value proposition diminishes, not only with consumers, but with vendors alike. Vendors aren't necessarily as desperate to get their name out there and put the deals out there. And consumers aren't necessarily trying to scour the the coupon universe for deals as well. There's also, there's the concern now too that, so the refunds have been higher, refund rates are higher on these high ticket items. So the concern now is, does this business translate well into higher ticket items, or is that always going to be a problem? If it is a problem, then Groupon's runway is not as long as was once expected. Okay, guys, so let's wrap with the stock. Um, Shares of Groupon have lost around 50% of their value from their high. So I am offering you a half-off deal on Groupon (laughs) right now. What do you think? As a contrarian, I know that there are all these headwinds, but are you more interested in the stock today than you were last week? No, I'd say less so. I'm too concerned about management. And as Jason said, it's hard to see the competitive advantages here, if there are any. It is a great, it's a, it's a great idea overall, but it's such an easy idea to replicate. And many have. Everyone's done it from Facebook to Google to Living Social. And and some have dropped the idea since. But anyway, it's just not a business that I that you can easily model out five years from now and say, oh, it'll certainly be much better and bigger. No, I wouldn't buy it. Jason, yeah, I agree. I mean, half I, off, Jason. Half, half off. off. I mean, it's sixteen dollars today. It's still uh, about seven dollars <laughs> more than what Google offered them back when they offered to buy them out. Ouch! And I wouldn't even buy it at that level now. I mean, I think Google is probably looking at this thinking, eh, I'm kind of glad we didn't really, you know, get that. And I think Groupon is kind of looking at this thinking, man, I wish we'd maybe taken that offer. But you know, time will tell. 
Okay, well, Avon not taking the offer either. Um, our final story, Avon has said no deal to a $10 billion buyout offer from Cody, which is a privately held fragrance company. Jeff, Avon has had problems recently with slumping sales. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a bribery scandal they're dealing with. What do you make of their decision to basically say no deal to this buyout? Well, Avon has to say no right now. They've, they've been looking for a new CEO for the past four months. Their sales in China have really taken a hit the past several quarters. So they are not, as Ron Gross would say, hitting on all cylinders. They're missing <laughs> on most cylinders. And yet they still have $11 billion in annual revenue, which is up from $10 billion three years ago. They're, by no means are they down for the count or, or out of the game. They're still the behemoth in their industry. And so to sell out now at what is really an opportunistic offering made by Cody. They, they know the stock is cheap. I haven't followed up on it for a while. I was surprised to see it. It's down some 40% the past year, uh, yielding 5% until today. Now it yields 4% because it's up so much today on this offer. Anyway, it's still an inexpensive time to try to buy this company out, and they, they should not be selling themselves now. And Jeff, the real reason we're talking about this story is you made the mistake of admitting to me before that your first job out of college was where? Avon. So I I graduated in 92. It was a recession at the time. And I moved to Chicago after school and signed up with a temp agency. And one of the first gigs I got was in the accounting department at Avon Products. I had a, you know, degree in that. And, uh, it was an interesting job. I was I was the auditor essentially for about 100 of the Avon products salespeople, which were 99 percent women. Okay, see that sounds great to me. Hey, okay, <laughs> when you told me that, I'm like, that sounds great. So it was a very old school office, very open and large, and windows okay. all around. Yep. And I was surrounded by other women who would go through these expense reports as well. So it was mainly a, a female dominated company, okay. at least the floor I worked on. And it was a great place to work. Every Friday, the the ladies would bring in, it was like a potluck lunch. It all bring in something and add it to the buffet, and you could all go up and eat from it. And they all treated me like a son because I was 22, and they were mostly in their 50s. And, and, I, and I told Jason that. I said, you Sending characterize life. it as working with like 50 of your mothers. It's true. And, and, and I'm not and, liking and that. And I thought that was great. And Jason said, well, I don't know. Kind of love depends. my mom. Yeah, it depends what your mother's I, like. I, I felt very coddled. It was, it was a good post school job. It was nurturing. It was like still being at home in a way. Okay, but it was not like as as a single guy looking to meet women. It wasn't necessarily that sort of place. No, not at all. Not at all. They weren't weren't (laughs) cutting you checks when you were a little bit short at the end of the month. (laughs) (laughs) No, so I'm going through expense reports day after day, and it's amazing what what the budgets these ladies had. Some would spend five, six thousand a month easy on dinners out and parties and treats and knickknacks. And that was fine as long as they had the revenue to, to make up for it. So, And then you would meet them as they come in and bring their reports in a very happy group. I, they were treated well by the company. They had a great time, and they made money doing it. Uh, but I, I tired of the job, not to go on too long about this, but <laughs> after about six months, I grew tired of it, and as I was wont to do at that age, and even now, I started showing up later and later, sometimes 11 in the morning, I'd show up. Nice. And they were still like, hey, Jeff, Welcome. <laughs> And uh, finally, the manager pulled me in. I thought, well, this is it. Time to move on. And instead, he offered me a full-time, a full-time job. And so I, I thought about it that night and, and resigned the next day <laughs> because I didn't, it, it wasn't where I wanted to be. And so. that was it. 
but good. Hey, they treated mm. me well. Well, closing this out, guys, I have a makeup-related dilemma. So it seems like <laughs> Avon is, 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 is a good kind of tee-up for this. Oh, man. My four-year-old son um, lately has been painting his toenails with my, wife's, with my wife's assistance. Okay? So, you know, it's great. You we know, want to my, encourage that. I'm, I feel much better sharing my story. Now. I was going <laughs> to say, man. <laughs> okay, but here, here's the problem. He tells me this morning that he wants to paint my nails, my toenails. Okay, and you know the morning routine where you're trying to get out the door and you're hungry and you're oh, kind yeah. of frazzled and distracted. Yeah. So I, of course, said yes. Okay, now the question is, yeah. tonight, do I have to honor that? Do I have to honor that commitment as his father to let him paint my toenails? No question. I, if I you do? said yes, Mac, if you said yes, it was then under, you need to. It was under duress. That doesn't under matter. Duress. You're so trying was... to get the kid to shut up so you can get out oh, of the door. No. But okay, I so will you... say, so like, now as the father of two daughters, I think it would be very easy for me to jump in and say, yes, go ahead with it. Because, you know, the girls are painting their nails every day anyway and painting daddy's nails. That's goofy, yada, yada, yada. With the boy, though, you're really trying to teach this kid to live up to his word. You want to be a man of your word. You, I, I expect to see painted nails tomorrow, Mac. Can I at least pick my color? I would think that would be a good sort of halfway point. Middle there. ground. I think he's four. You, you need to let him choose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro, Jason Moser from Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All Mike. right. Look forward to tomorrow. Have a good night, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of tomorrow, we're actually off for the rest of the week. Uh, Market Foolery <laughs> taking a break um, for spring break. And we're going to be uploading this week's Motley Fool Money tomorrow. So if you're missing Chris at this point, and I certainly understand why you would be, um, you can find Motley Fool Money um, tomorrow. Um, the guys are going to be talking about their favorite stocks for the next 10 years. We've also got a great interview with Jonah Lair, who talks about creativity, Swiffers, Post-it notes, and yes, why daydreaming is better than brainstorming. So check that out, Motley Fool Money tomorrow. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer. Have a great week, and Chris and the crew will be back on Monday.